This is The Way to Work with the ADECO Group Foundation on Monocle 24, the programme that puts the future of working life firmly in the spotlight. This week we're in Davos at the World Economic Forum with leaders in business, government, civil society and academia. It's fertile ground to explore the issues and solutions that will shape the future of work. Alongside the forum itself, a host of other events on the future of work offer a platform to share ideas and to network. From changing technology and ageing workforces to the threat posed by climate change, there are certainly plenty of obstacles on the horizon. We'll ask what's keeping today's C-suite up at night as they ponder the future, and we'll explore some of the solutions that stand to ensure organisations and employees continued success in the face of change. We start on the edge of the World Economic Forum at the launch of the INSEAD Global Talent Competitiveness Index. Ahead of the release of its 2020 rankings, Felipe Montero, a senior INSEAD faculty member and architect of the GTCI, explains what he sees as the key challenges ahead in the future of work. I think for it is very important to think about what is going to be the impact of AI, not only technologically speaking, but what do we require in terms of reskilling, upskilling, job transformation? What's the role of different actors in society, companies, governments, academia, NGOs? Unfortunately, a lot of the conversations are not conversations across sectors or across stakeholders. We have a lot of conversations in business kind of forums or in different academic conferences or policymakers. And there are very few places where you put all those actors together. So a lack of communication between sectors stands to affect the future of work. But is it fair to say that it's AI that stands to be the most disruptive force as we move through the coming years? So maybe we've been hearing a lot about, you know, the big disruption of AI, how companies and work will be completely transformed. And maybe we look around and see, yes, there are some applications of that, things that you see in a day-to-day. I think the big impact, we can not even now anticipate how big it would be. Looking back, what we could say is probably we are expecting a lot of things that disruption will come tomorrow, and it might not come tomorrow. But at the same time, we might be underestimating, not tomorrow, but in five years' time, in 10 years' time, how things will really be. And I think as you talk to a lot of people here, and people who are deep into developing those technologies, from Google to kind of governments, I think everybody's really serious on their understanding that the disruption that AI and digital more broadly not only you know, in terms of transformation of jobs, but transformation of organizations, and implicitly how companies will have to reshape and redefine the strategies, will be huge. When we ask how to engage with these challenges, where should we be looking? Do technological challenges require technological solutions, or is it a policy issue? We should believe in data-driven decisions. We should believe that understanding those dynamics are important. So this more kind of data-driven, scientific, let's look what's happening, let's look not only because of my election two years' time, but what's going to happen in the country, in the region, is, is, is critical. You talk about all those issues you talked about, right, AI and climate change. To me, what's really important, in addition to the specific policies that government can have for those specific issues, is how do we build a narrative? I think we should be saying very clearly right, that we understand the potential limitations of technologies. We realize the responsibility of doing this in a very serious, kind of ethical, responsible way. 
Anna Rold is the founder and publisher of Diplomatic Courier. Does she think that the public sector is doing its part to ensure that talent pools in, for example, emerging economies are open to international business? Talent surplus and deficit is happening because we have the advent of new technologies, exponential technologies like AI, blockchain. Certain countries that are at the top of producing that type of talent tend to be in North America or Switzerland or Singapore. But as we switch, you know, in the next couple of decades, the talent supply will change. The countries that have a much younger demographic will supply a bigger talent pool. But in the policy realm, we haven't figured out how this mobility will happen because borders remain the same. If I, as a company, have two million jobs to fill and my talent is in India or Brazil, and I'm a company located in North America, we have yet to figure out where the policy community is going to address that issue, which a policy level, we're nowhere near even touching upon. With ageing populations in developed economies and public sector inaction stymieing talent mobility, how can the private sector ensure an inclusive workforce? A lot of emerging, developing nations, you see a much younger population emerging. And that is critical in whether we see a more prosperous world or we see a more dystopian world where interstate conflicts and, and smaller conflicts start erupting. What we need to be able to do, especially in the private sector, is go invest in the entrepreneur in Africa, go invest in the entrepreneur in the Middle East. But also what we've seen so far in the VC, venture capital world and entrepreneur world is that it tends to look very much mirror Silicon Valley, which tends to be predominantly male, young, uh, young males. And what we need to be able to see, especially if we want these bigger societal change to happen, is see venture capital go into more women, more minorities, other countries, other continents, and reflect more the world we live in. As Anna says, with the public sector tangled up in policy, it's the private that stands to affect the most impactful change. Andre Hoffman is vice chairman of Hoffman La Roche, and he agrees. He suggests that the externalities that stand to affect the workforce will require private sector initiative to navigate. So I think we can posit as a beginning that about 50%, perhaps even 80% of jobs will have to change. New technology will change an awful lot of things and we will have to be adapting to this. I think there's also going to be a change in the environment and not only in technology. Technology is, I think, the prime driver, but the fact that we are getting to a, an end-of-the-road model in a couple of our natural resources is also something that should challenge us. And that's one of the reasons why we need to change the way we lead and the way we manage businesses. Companies which are thinking a Long term, I think more and more aware of the fact that there is a need to ensure the future and you cannot continue as business as usual because the consequences would be too dire. Governments, as usual, have a tendency of lagging a little bit behind. They are full of good intentions, but perhaps they don't have the flexibility needed to react quickly enough to this emergency. I think the workforce are going to rely on their employers to be able to bring this about. Andre Hoffman there. This is The Way to Work. Today we're at the World Economic Forum in Davos, looking ahead to some of the challenges facing the workforce. So far, we've heard that externalities such as developments in technology are poised to fundamentally reshape our relationship with work, while solutions are most likely to be found in public-private sector collaboration. For individuals, adaptability and an eagerness to reskill may make the difference in that shifting workplace – but how do we go about imparting these modern professional virtues? 
In our next episode, we'll be going into greater detail, exploring how traditional and progressive training methods, from apprenticeships to workplace learning, can equip the C-suite leaders of tomorrow with the skills they need to navigate a future characterised by change. But Taha Bauer, co-founder and CEO of Goodwall, suggests that while his enterprise focuses on skilling Generation Z, it has lessons for today's workers too. We are demanding that people are able to redevelop, reinvent themselves every few years. Upskilling and reskilling is, sounds great in theory, but today, go take someone with 20 years of experience, take 100 of them, and ask them to reskill themselves completely into a new position. See how hard it is. We need to give them the opportunity to reskill and upskill, and that's a mindset. Entrepreneurs tend to have this mindset of being super flexible, super adaptable, but we need to now ask that, which is done by a tiny percentage of the population, though we talk about them a lot, of almost 100% of the population. We need to be prepared as a society for it. There needs to be government policy changes as early as in schools, but platforms like Goodwall, outside, collaborating with governments, collaborating with educational systems, collaborating with recruiters or corporates, has a role. And today what we're doing, for example, is helping run entrepreneurial challenges in high schools around the world. What does this do? It helps them familiarize themselves with this concept of pitching. It gives them confidence. It helps them understand ideas, innovation, which is so important when we talk about adaptability, when we talk about resilience, when we talk about reinventing oneself. Tahabawa. It's clear that guaranteeing a positive workplace future is about more than just imparting technical skills. Companies may also need to take more of a stewardship approach. Fokker Vincius is Vice President in Nutrition in Emerging Markets at DSM, a global company that specialises in nutrition, health and sustainable living. Fokker suggests that the private sector has a responsibility to support employees through changes and that from a business perspective, the optics make sense too. Business needs to take a more societal role in this. The fact that businesses need to change can't be at the expense of society. It can't be that it's very easy. We have not prepared for the future of our business and that's why we now fire one group and hire another group. I think that that sort of dropping the externalities back to society is not the future. I think it will be a responsibility for a company. I think it will also be a differentiator for companies if they show that they care about the people that work for them. The Global Apprenticeships Network, or GAN, is an organisation that's already recognised the need to prepare workforces for the changes ahead, as its executive director, Nazreen Mani, explains. We realised probably in the last 18 to 24 months that given the transitions in the world of work, we're moving away from very traditional models, and it's not just young people who need to be gotten ready to enter the labour market. In fact, those of us who've been in the labour market and who work currently need to have our skills constantly developed, constantly honed. So this idea of reskilling has come up. What does this mean for traditional pathways into careers or routes through them? Is academic study beginning to look outdated? And could work-based learning bridge the skills gap? Globally, we're seeing a massive shift towards the realisation that a traditional university degree is not going to be the sole opportunity or option for transitions into the labour market. We're starting to see increased buy-in towards vocational education, towards different models of work-based learning. So whether it's an apprenticeship, an internship, a work experience strategy, we need to find opportunities for people to build their technical skills, to see that there's a range of careers 
outside of the formal degree, but also that through an apprenticeship or structured work-based learning model, you can move through the ed education system. What does work-based learning offer? Do social and cultural stigmas around the very idea of vocational or on-the-job training stand to get in the way of new models? A doctor cannot qualify without work-based learning. And, you know, for most societies, having a doctor in a family is the pinnacle. And if a doctor can do work-based learning, why can't everybody else? That was Nazreen Manny, Executive Director at GAN. We've heard that an emphasis on workplace learning and reskilling may lie at the heart of solutions to the increased pressure of digital and demographic shifts on the workforce. But how to ensure equality of opportunity to guarantee security in the future of work for all sectors of society? Nicola Gritschka is the CEO of Gastromotiva, a Latin American-based social enterprise focused on opening up the workplace to untapped talent pools. We create employment opportunities in the hospitality industry by um, skilling people that have no opportunities, like favela refugees arriving in a country, to work with the industry that most employs people nowadays. Is this a purely philanthropic exercise? There's a real business case for it. The hospitality industry is one of the biggest employers, and yet they have a huge problem of turnover, high turnover of staff, not finding skilled staff. And we have on the other side, on the other extreme, we have people that are just seeking for opportunities. Again, refugees arriving in a country, or these kids from the favela that we've worked with in the past. So it's really just, you know, like bridging those, upskilling them, giving them opportunity, focus on the personal development as well. Nicola Gritschka. Davos is a unique forum in which to explore the challenges and solutions in the future of work, but it's also contained. Away from the World Economic Forum, how are C-suite executives incorporating forward-looking values and practices into their own businesses? Noni Purnomo is the president director of Bluebird Group Holding, the largest taxi company in Indonesia. With more than 50,000 employees on the payroll, how is she working with them to ensure their skill sets run beyond immediate needs behind the wheel? The strength of Bluebird is the driver service. So that relates to the service industry. So you don't have to be a driver to give a good service. So if you can enhance that kind of skill, then that means one person can work as a driver or they can work as in the hotel or they can work in the restaurant, you know, because with that basic skill of giving good services. So we're training our drivers to give good service. And I think that skill is really scalable for the future as well. On the streets of Jakarta, a far cry from snow-capped Davos, Noni is implementing many of the progressive ideas under discussion in Switzerland. As we heard from Nazarene Manny earlier, the need to skill and reskill isn't limited to one generation, and there are multiple avenues open for success in the future workplace. We also heard from Anna Rold, who called for more targeted investment to ensure a more inclusive and better equipped talent pool. Noni is putting both of these into practice. Every semester we're giving 1,700 scholarships to the children of our drivers. So we're expecting them to graduate as, as a university graduates in the future. I think that's part of our contribution to the society to prepare the next generation. And we're focusing on two things as well. The university graduates, I think they're pretty much set. But we're also focusing on the, the children of our drivers who want to use vocational studies. So for vocational studies, we would encourage them to take more on this uh, computer science or communication you know, or creative industry. 
those are the ones that we're preparing for the future and for the next generation. But on top of that, we're also developing the skills for the wives of the driver because most of our drivers are males. So we're also developing the skills of the wives of our drivers so that they can open businesses from home. Because as we all know, e-commerce are really growing very rapidly, right? So when we talk about women empowerment, it doesn't mean that women have to go out from their home and work in corporations because they also can contribute to the economy from home. So that's another thing that we're focusing at this moment as well. There we have an insight into the practical applications of some of the ideas around the future of work we've been exploring at the World Economic Forum in Davos. From reskilling employees to subsidising scholarships or supporting vocational training for emerging generations and investing in women to ensure a more inclusive and, by extension, more secure economy, these techniques reflect the practices that many agree are necessary to safeguard the future of work. So as we reach the end of today's programme, what are the five takeaways that the C-suite should be considering when thinking about the future? Rahaf Hafush is an author and digital anthropologist whose research takes in the impact of technological developments on society. At the World Economic Forum, she offered her take on the most important points of reflection. One, I would say that most people and organisations today do not have the right skill set to cope with information overload. So we, we're, we don't know how to process information properly within organizations. Two, the culture, hustle culture and overwork culture, despite being constantly rewarded in a million ways within the organization, has been proven to hurt performance in the long term, and that definitely needs to be recognized. Three, that reskilling, while important in order to um, help people evolve to a point isn't going to solve the future problem of automation and the problem of just not enough jobs. Um, four, I would say like the climate, we often just talk about business and you know, and climate as separate things, but integrating um, sustainable, renewable business practices, whatever industry you're in is going to be an incredible priority. And five, I think it's just reminding ourselves to be grounded in human-centric tech, that the technology that we're using, the algorithms we're implementing, that they are centered within transparent ethical practices that always put the individual first. So there we have it. To accommodate a rapidly changing workplace, mindful engagement with technology is essential. We've heard about the challenges the future workplace faces, and we've heard about solutions, the advantages of workplace learning, the value of entrepreneurialism, and the importance of flexibility to ensure that through reskilling, no one is left behind. But what does this mean for future generations who will be reaching professional maturity in a rapidly developing and frankly unpredictable workplace? Next time, we'll be asking this very question as we ponder how to prepare the next generation and consider what they might be able to teach the C-suite of today. In the meantime, keep up to speed and do find new episodes of this programme at monocle.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can find out more anytime about the work of the ADECO Group Foundation. Visit adecogroupfoundation.org. That's all for this second edition of The Way to Work. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks very much for tuning in. Music